Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. My guest today is Jose Ralat. Jose Ralat is the taco editor for Texas Monthly, author of the book American Tacos, and contributor to the Netflix series Taco Chronicles Season 3. Bienvenido a este episodio, Jose. Hola, un placer. Jose, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? A little bit of everywhere. Uh, originally, nací en Arecibo, Puerto Rico and uh, moved to the mainland when I was about three. Mm-hmm. We went back every year, but, and then we moved back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but for, for the most part, New York, mm-hmm. Brooklyn, where I met my wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say that's pretty much where I fell in love with tacos. <laughs> in New York? In New York. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I want to hear more about that. So how <laughs> long have you been in Texas? Uh, 13 years, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. 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 Uh, so tell me about your food experiences growing up. So, you know, you had that, you have that Puerto Rican background. So I imagine like arroz con gandules, uh, pasteles, tostones, etc. Uh, but then you also have this taco, right? I, um, experience. So tell me about that. When I was working on my book, I asked my mother. When was the first time that I, I had a taco? Mm-hmm. And she said, I mean, a nene. <laughs> um, she made a taco dorado as one of my first solid foods mm-hmm. while we were on the island. Mm-hmm. But after we came to the mainland, to the States, I had Puerto Rican food and every you know, food that everyone else did in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. Lots of fast food, even though when we had the fast food, that was a treat because mm-hmm. we were too poor. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So a lot of my food is home cooking, but Puerto Rican food is very interesting in that what we now n- know as Puerto Rican food is almost half the truth. Uh, because the U.S. government deliberately destroyed the agricultural systems on the island to impoverish residents and make them dependable on state-given commodities. So I grew up eating Velveeta, just like a lot of Tejanos did, uh-huh. you know, especially in the valley, you know, uh, where that was a commodity. It was affordable. It's what you had, unless you can make Guess what yourself. It was a lot of that. And then I met my wife. I call her La Tejana Mas Blanquita. Because <laughs> she's really pale, green eyes, and she introduced me to lengua, to breakfast tacos. Mm-hmm. And I was just blown away. We had Mexican restaurants and taquerias as well as puestos in our Brooklyn neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So we could just walk down the street, grab... Borrego and eat it as we went along. 
doing our errands. It was really, really cool and lovely. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Oh, and New York, you have all kinds of food everywhere. But anywhere you go, I think there's always a taco truck, right? Or a, a taqueria, mm-hmm. a corner taqueria. Um, so, so yeah, so food, Mexican food, in a way, is always available uh, to, to us. Um, so tell me about becoming this expert, este conocedor de tacos, because uh, you write about this, right? You have a, a, a column. Yeah, so I moved to Texas without a job. My wife didn't have a job. We had an eight-month-old son, and I got a call from a from an editor, Mark Donald. He he asked me the most important question of my life: Do you like tacos? Who doesn't like tacos? He go great. Pitch me something on Monday, and that became the Dallas Observer's weekly taco review. I left and. Then I started freelancing. I, I had a series of full-time jobs in journalism. I started to freelance for Texas Monthly, worked on their 2015 taco issue, and immediately pitched the job I have now. It took me four years to get the job, but I got it because I just kept at it. The one thing, I should say the most important thing my father taught me growing up was you have to fight for what you believe in. I fight for everything. I fight for my family. I fight for the stories of the people who make the food that I write about. I tried for years to convince my wife to call me Lucho, but she wouldn't do it. I was like, but I'm a fighter. Uh, She said no. Three and a half years ago, I got the job, and now I write about Mexican food and tacos every week online, Mm -hmm. uh, and occasionally for print. I've written about the food and the people in our cookbook, which just came out, another anthology that came out late last year. And then we have a 50th anniversary book coming out. I wrote an essay f- for that. I'm just working, working, working. Yeah, uh, it sounds like it. Yeah. What is the name of this um, cookbook that just came out? It's called The Big Texas Monthly Cookbook. Okay. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. <laughs> uh, but it's available online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think I wrote the introduction to what they call the Tex-Mex chapter, mm-hmm. but what is Tex-Mex these days? Right, right. It's really hard <laughs> to, to define. define. It, yeah. Yes, I bet. Yeah. So, um, Jose, for the American Tacos book, you didn't just focus on Texas. You went across the U.S. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that research? I mean, that sounds like a wonderful research, by the way. <laughs> Predominantly self-funded, right? right. <laughs> because it was a university press book. Mm-hmm. One of the great things about university presses is they will hold your hand, uh, uh, and um, you have a lot more freedom. And they peer review, mm-hmm. so what is published is, for all intents and purposes, 
legitimate and mm -hmm. practically undebatable. You know, so I wrote that book over four years, visited more than a thousand taquerias, mm -hmm. talked to so many people, uh, racked up a lot of hairline miles. <laughs> and uh, um, the book for me was always a way to combine or compile all of the literature that had come before me and then write a book that had never been written before. Mm -hmm. So the book is the first national survey of regional American tacos. Because as I, I just realized it one day that the histories show us that tacos were the same on both sides of the river till the border was put through. And then the food did what food does and that is innovate, regionalize according to the wants and needs of the people mm -hmm. and what's available. What's available yeah. you know, uh, the marketplace changed twice, in 1836 and in 1848. With trade routes cut off, people had to make do with what they had, and that created new tacos. Mm -hmm. But throughout the 20th century and into the 21st century, and even now, we have new tacos coming to life. Mm. You know, food is alive. Mexican food does whatever it, whatever it wants, <laughs> whenever it wants. Uh, it doesn't recognize borders. The taco embraces all. So one of my memories of just eating tacos and enjoying them was in elementary school. And um, so, you know, during recreo or recess, uh, we would go out and all the vendors were, because we didn't really have a cafeteria where you buy food, right? Like in the in the U.S., I, you know, I went to, to school um, uh, to K through 12 in, in Mexico. And um, so you go out to the vendors, you know, by the fence. Um, and there was this woman that always sold um, tacos de harina con frijoles. That was it. Mm. And it was the most wonderful meal. Like every time she was there, it, she always sold out. And we were, we were kids, you know, like 10, 9, 8. <laughs> and we had our, our little, you know, our pesos to go and buy the tacos. And I just remember looking forward to that, you know, especially because... My mom didn't uh, make tortillas de harina. She was probably one of the very few moms in Matamoros that didn't make tortillas de harina. So it was even extra special, right, when I was there. And I'm like, oh, yes, I want that. Um, so those, you know, so those are the memories that come to mind. And later on, I realized, right, I, when I moved away from the border and from, from my town, that tortillas de harina Son una cosa del norte, right, mm -hmm. and not in other places. So, um, and obviously in the U.S., they're very, like, flour tortillas are very um, well-known, right? But, um, um, but yeah, I didn't realize, right, because you grow up with that and you just imagine that, like, todo México es lo mismo. And, it's um, so and then we're not. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, I was in Monterrey in August. Corn tortillas suck. <laughs> They're terrible, but the flour tortillas. They're the best. <laughs> I was licking them. Yeah. There's photographic evidence <laughs> of me and my friend Paco licking them. 
uh, and uh, uh, they were so good. The tacos mañaneros mm-hmm. that you find on the street corners, mm-hmm. and just with beans, you know, perfect. Yes, that's really all you need. That you know, it's buttery, it's kind of sweet, but it's rich, mm-hmm. and it, it just for me now, I, I'd say it reminds me of home. Because mm-hmm. you know, uh, when I was researching the book, I went to L.A., of course, uh, and friend and I went to this taqueria opened by Tejana Sisters, triplets, actually. It was called Home State. It was breakfast tacos. It was jelly con queso, not much else. And we bit into them and we're like, holy moly, <laughs> this is like home. Uh, oh, it was amazing. Um, Jose, in your journey as a food historian, so you just you just kind of shared one of the stories, right? That sort of that first bite and somebody's restaurant takes you home. But what have been some of the stories that have been most interesting or resonate with you the most? And it's probably even hard to pick just one, but um, I'll ask you to try. <laughs> Does it have to be tacos? No, okay. no. <laughs> All right. I eat a lot of ice cream, specifically Mexican ice cream. Uh, when I was in Mexico City in August, I went to this ice cream shop called Helados Gandoni, and it is the oldest ice cream soda fountain in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. It was established in 1939 by an Italian immigrant who was a luchador. <laughs> and the family still owns it. The owner was there. We took pictures. The desserts were very Mexican. You had the flavors. Mm-hmm. You had mame and all these other wonderful fruit flavors. But it was a different place. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me again, not all of Mexico is the same. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of great stories. Uh, one that always comes to mind is Mando Vera, his restaurant, Vera's Backyard Barbecue. Mando Vera is the last remaining barbacoyero allowed to cook in a pit. So Mando cooks anywhere between 40 and 80 cow heads per day, per night in a 12-foot brick-lined pit. And he can raise the bottom depending on what he wants to make. But he uses mesquite. Mm -hmm. He burns it down. It takes like four days Mm -hmm. from beginning to end to do this. Mm -hmm. And he's been doing it since he was 12. Oh, my goodness. And where is he? In Brownsville. In Brownsville. Uh, Front on Southmost. It's open Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. That guy will talk, He, but he likes to crack jokes. He's a, he has a very dry wit. Unfortunately, he's the last guy. Mm-hmm. Now, I say that, but I say that as he's officially the last guy. Mm-hmm. I know of places that made their barbacoa in un pozo, but they can't say that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, please, my gay... And a pot, da ba ba ba. <laughs> With a smile and a wink, they say, you know. And mm-hmm. but this is special. Mm-hmm. People travel from all over the world. I was at the restaurant 
just hanging out with him when someone in London called. To place an order? <laughs> no, to, to <laughs> try and interview him. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's a phenomenal guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he has someone who's going to take over. Mm. I hope so. Yeah, that's always, I think, um, sad, right? Like, I've, I've seen, um, including my favorite uh, show, Taco Chronicles. I've seen all the seasons. Um, but uh, I remember there was one story about a man that, um, I think it was from Peru, that um, also was very, does this type of cooking, and he was the last one, right? Like, he, there's nobody mm-hmm. to take over. Um and it takes forever. Like, this particular meal takes forever. Maybe it's not Peru. I don't remember. But, uh, which is, and it, it was, you know, wonderful. The, the, the taste, the texture, you know, they as they were describing it. And, and it's sad to know that that craft will die with him, right? At the same time, there is opportunity for new things, right? So so definitely I'm I'm thinking about this guy that you're talking about from Brownsville, you know. There's uh, a chef in Dallas by the name of Anastasia Quinones Pittman, first generation, classically trained chef. She wants to make Mexican food and she does a great job of it. But a lot of people are like, what are you doing? She was featured in Taco Chronicles. She told me she understands that there's a tradition. She wants to uphold that, but traditions change. And she said that she wanted her daughters to understand it was okay to tweak things. Mm-hmm. It was okay to make something your own. Right? Because your abuela probably probably made a wonderful guiso. Mm-hmm. And your best friend's abuelita probably made the same guiso, but a different way. Mm-hmm. Are they any less legitimate? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. They're perfect. Absolutely. They're just different. <laughs> they're the same, but they're different. Yes. Yeah. Um, and also, like we have new... The technology is not the right word to use with in cooking, but maybe, you know, new instruments, I guess. Uh, that are available to us um, that maybe weren't available, right, when those uh, recipes were created and then you get to experiment and add and, and like you said, tweak. Uh, this reminds me of my mom. So our family is from El Salvador. You know, she grew up. Um, we, I didn't because I lived in Mexico all my life, but um, she grew up eating pupusas and, and making the traditional pupusas, either revueltas, con frijoles y queso, verdad, mm. all of that. And then um, where I lived, I lived in, in different um, cities in the U.S., and I always find pupusas, just like I always find tacos, right? In the pupusas, you know, there is vegetarian pupusas, and there is, you know, uh, pupusas con camarones. And I remember telling my mom, and she just looks at me. She's like, but that's not the right pupusa. <laughs> and I'm like, well, mom, like some people don't like, don't eat meat like they're vegetarians or they're you know this I guess but that's not the right pupusa (laughs) and so so yeah I mean we can can we still have those flavors and in a way that maybe you know addresses also some dietary restrictions that we might have uh, but still consume you know the, the food from our culture you bring up a really good point dietary restrictions 
Mexican food is predominantly vegetarian. We eat a lot of beef because we are El Norte. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Meat eaters. Yeah, yeah. And and when I was in Monterrey, I, I went to El Museo del Noreste. Every placard, every caption, everything on every wall that mentioned Northeastern Mexico always mentioned Tejas. Uh, we are the same region. We eat the same foods. I wish I could find great frijoles con veneno, but I can't find a, any good version here. Northeastern Mexican food traditions are what inform Tex-Mex, and there's always so much going back and forth. So what we eat is almost almost the same, but if you go to Oaxaca, very different. Very different. Very little emphasis on animal protein. Mm-hmm. You know, meat's expensive, except when you have a lot of it, which is what we have here. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jose, tell me about uh, the work that you did in Taco Chronicles. Like I mentioned, I'm I'm a fan of the series and I always assign it to to my or encourage my students to to um, view and actually during the pandemic is when um, I started watching it and I like you know we had a lot of time at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I watch all the episodes and I um, and so we were you know about to end the semester half of the semester and students um, had you know part of the class was to um, engage in um, the media um, uh, related to um, Latino culture, preferably in Spanish, but, you know, it didn't have to be some, like, you guys have to watch Taco Chronicles. So I had, I think, half of the class was watching the show during the pandemic. Um, So, yeah, and so I was excited, you know, that um, on this third season, we even San Antonio has its own, um, you know, piece there. Uh, so tell us about the, the work that you did for the for Taco Chronicles. It started so long ago. <laughs> it began late 2020, I think, is when I was contacted. I was contracted as one of their consultants, one of their scouts, and one of their talking heads. Mm-hmm. Uh it was a long process. I did some scouting. So, so uh, the producer and director and I went to one city that didn't make the cut. It was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But that's just how television goes. And the pandemic changed the way the show was made. And it also that also impacted the way that it was edited. But what came out, I think, is is an excellent piece of culinary history. Mm-hmm. That, uh, and it, again, shows us that there are these connections between mm-hmm. these two seemingly different countries. We're not all that different. The first European language spoken here was Spanish. Right. We're in the city of San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And, and so to be able to tell that story mm-hmm. or help tell that story mm-hmm. meant a lot to me. I got to work with some of my friends 
and I got to see some of my friends on the screen, which was, oh my God, that's Steve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I enjoyed it a lot, uh, but it was a lot of hard work. Uh, being able to travel to see the charros down here was so much fun. Being able to just listen, mm -hmm. that's the best part. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's the yeah, best to part. to listen to people's stories and passion about that. And so I have, I have my list okay. when I go to Dallas. I mean, I've visited almost every uh, taco, feature, taco place featured um, in the San Antonio episode. <laughs> uh, but then I have my list for Dallas. I definitely want to try the pulpo tacos uh, that were featured there. So. Yeah, everyone wants to try it now. Right. I haven't seen the owner in, in a while because he said something like, Everybody wants his pinche pulpo tacos. <laughs> <laughs> so he's really busy. <laughs> he's really busy. <laughs> yes. Jose, what projects are you working on for, for this year in 2023? I'm trying to just learn how to breathe <laughs> using photosynthesis because I'm in the weeds constantly. I hope to write more features that put the people forward, not just in, not just on the website, mm -hmm. but in print. I have another project in the works that I can't talk about quite yet. Okay. Uh, <laughs> have you ever thought about documenting your roots? I did have DNA uh, work done, uh, so did my wife. Uh, and uh, when I got the results, you know, it said Spain, Northern Africa, um, Indigenous American, uh, and then a few other things because, you know, it's just what it is. But I looked at it and I said, this just told me that I'm Puerto Rican. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because we're a complete right. mess, you right. know. Uh, 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 and... I spent a lot of money on that. <laughs> uh, but that was just a piece of the puzzle. It validated a lot of what my cousin had done with his scholarly work. Mm -hmm. But it's really interesting to me how different Boricuas react to talk about, well, maybe you're not fully European. Because mm -hmm. a lot of island Puerto Ricans think that they have no mix in them, but a large percentage of them have Taino blood in them, right. me included. And not everyone looks feels that way. Mm -hmm. like, no, I can't. No. Part of why I do what I do is to, to, chronicle, these, to chronicle these stories, mm -hmm. not just for the literature, but for my son. Because he's of both worlds, and we made a very conscious decision to raise him in the Chicano heritage, because there aren't that many Puerto Ricans here. <laughs> uh, um, these, are, these are the stories of his people. Mm -hmm. He's not going to read them now. He's definitely not reading them now. <laughs> but hopefully he will one day, mm -hmm. and 
hopefully when he reads them, I'll get a thank you. I don't know. But they're for him. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there'll be for other uh, people like him that are being raised in a, you know, with a, in a, maybe predominantly Mexican, Mexican-American community, mm-hmm. but also um, sort of reclaiming that Puerto Rican heritage. Yeah, well, when you walk outside of my house, you hear Spanish. He's in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, José, gracias por esta conversación. Me encantó. Muchas gracias por todo. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Thank you so much. I hope I made sense. Oh, yeah.